I just got in a call with someone today and um, they asked me specifically what I thought about sales enablement and hiring a sales enablement for the team yeah. and yeah. should sales enablement be in charge of training. Well, there you go. So now we're off and running. So like we're the beginning running. of the show, the beginning of the show is basically just like, what should we talk about today? <laughs> exactly. We, we have no set agenda. Um, yeah. So this, this is my thought. I, I don't know how you hired for, first of all, of the roles you've had, right? At the different companies, did you, were you able to get to a sales enablement place? Um, I was able, I was able to get there faster and faster. So yeah. like in the, in the beginning, there was like no support for it, you know, figured out on your own, Scott. Your right? sales enablement, right? Like that's, oh, that's yeah. what a, typically a first time yeah. VP of sales or director is you, you are the sales enablement guy. Right? Yeah. 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 But so, you know, by the time I got to, to like company four, um, I, you know, it took me till like one and a half years in and yeah. then year two or excuse me, then company five, it was like, straight away basically mm -hmm. I, it was almost like look i'm not coming to work for you unless you let me hire this particular person for sales enablement right and then and how big did the team need to be though because right like you go to an early and you you've you've been the zero to 25 million guy right and you've you've started from scratch you're not starting from scratch with an enablement person i assume right like well you, i actually i, I actually, know you you write the pitches you dive in you talk to customers like yeah but i actually did almost start so like at qualia you know, my first hire that I made was our head of sales ops, literally my first hire. And she started um, a month after me, maybe. And how many reps were there when you got there? Three. Three. Okay. And yeah. you were able to get them. And so how did you, how did you get an, how, not an ops, enablement person? How did you get an ops person even? You know, the ops enablement. Three. Same. You see them as the same? I see them as the same. Yeah. Okay. It's tomato, tomato, potato, potato, whatever to so, me. Um, so how did I, I, how did I get them? I mean, I just kind of, I, 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 tra I made a transition after company four. So like in, now I'm in like 2011, let's say. I, I basically made a transition. And, and when I was interviewing and talking to companies, I basically said like, I, my first hire needs to be a, a, a head of, of sales ops. And here's why. I, you know, I know exactly what we need. I, I, I need the tools. Uh, I need things set up in this particular way. I need somebody to deal with phone systems and Salesforce stuff. Like I am not going to do all that stuff. Right. I need somebody that I can say to that, that is, look, go do all these things. Right. Meanwhile, I'm going to work with the reps. I'm going to coach. I'm going to pitch. I'm going to close deals. I'm going to recruit. And, and you know, that, uh, that pitch, if you will, of me trying to get a job worked in 2011. And then it worked again in 2000, uh, I think 16, 14, and then 2016, maybe when I was at Qualia, whatever the timeline is. My point is it worked. Whereas the first half of my career, it was like, fuck you. We're not, you're doing all this yourself. You're not getting any budget for this. Right. And I, I had like a hundred something reps. Right. And I was getting no, no budget. And these reps were in three or four different cities, in three or four different offices, and I got no enablement budget, right? So the, the shift the, the I mean, shift happened where I, I started to get, you know, people started to respect that response and, and, and let me fulfill it. Yeah, well, I want to I pause there because I'm going to ask you some questions because I know how some people will be thinking. One is, 
um, it feels very similar and it feels like, and I don't know if you pitched it this way, is that if you, it's like when you have two co-founders and one is the CEO and he or she is the technical guru. And then you have this other co-founder who's the COO who handles the business side, hmm. right? Where sales might report up to that COO. Yeah. Oftentimes co-founders don't like to have those two different titles because they, their egos, they don't want to have a CEO, CEO, but, but that feels to me a little bit like what you were able to remind them of is look, you need me to be this salesperson. We need to hire an ops person to get this infrastructure in place. Right. Yeah. But, and, and you even said a minute ago that you see them as the same thing, tomato and tomato, but even in your own execution, I don't see it that way because you were saying, I need this ops person to go do systems and get this built and get my Salesforce stuff. And I'm going to go pitch. And I'm going to be the trainer and I'm going to close deals and I'm going to work with the team. So do you still see them the same or now that I've called it out or you're like, Oh, now I see what you mean in the difference. Well, I do see what you mean now that you call it out, but it's all still to me, sales operations slash sales enablement. I guess it's just in the beginning there's, I still have time and bandwidth to do training and coaching because the team is small enough. But at some point in time as the SVP of sales or CRO or whatever, right. I have to let that stuff go. Oh, sure. Right. And so, you know, um, I think I hang on and do some of that stuff as long as I can, partially because I really like it. Mm -hmm. And, and, um, you know, partially because I, I see some of these other things as like very much more outside of my skill set. Mm -hmm. And I'm self-aware about what I can and cannot do and, and do and do not want to do. Right. Right. And so I'm like, oh, yeah, you're you're taking over all this stuff that I, I don't yeah. want to deal with and I don't know how to deal with. You did that with me when we first started working together. You let well, me run with it. So, well, um, one of the things you have to get good at is uh, is delegation. Yeah, we'll talk about that one. Um, but here's, here's I want to come back to this other thing because I know someone out there will kind of go, wait a minute, you had hundreds of people in multiple cities and you had no ops person. Yeah. Someone's probably going, no way, not possible. Like, you know, without, without sort of, and we're not trying to bash any company. Like it's, this is just sometimes what happens in the business world, particularly the startup sector. Yeah. Where you don't always get the resources you want. So how did you manage that? Like what well, did you do? Some of, some of those resources weren't even available. Right. Hey. Hi. Hey, everybody. Oh, this is how we do stuff. Caleb. Yeah. It's like 33 degrees outside, so he's bundled, so. bundled up. Hey, can you, can you imagine a world before there was an iPad? Uh, 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 not really? No, not really. All right, go. Why am I asking that? Yeah. Well, so, you know, as shocking as it might seem to some people, there was a sales world before sales enablement and sales operations. Exactly. You know what I mean? There was a world before all of this tech stack right. that is out there helping everybody do stuff. You know, I didn't have a lead list. Put you know, text I better. Text better. <laughs> but, you know, you, you and I, we didn't, we didn't have all these, uh, all these tools and everything. Right. 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 So, yeah, it, it, it was hard. We, we couldn't do as much, but we cobbled things, you know, together and, and you did your, uh, did your best. And, and you, so like, I know you, like, I, I know this part of your life a little bit and, um, and I know I'm sort of turning this into a Scott Lee's interview, but I, I know how to pull shit out of you. So um, 
you've got three teams, you know, one in Austin, one in Phoenix, maybe one in, I think, New York or L.A., San Francisco, yeah, yeah. a couple of different places. Did you just sort of find the rep who was willing to sort of go the extra mile and, you know, would look for a project who wanted to be promoted and you were like, all right, great. you want to be promoted? Step up and help me do yeah. that. That, that. That's a great question, except you got one word wrong. And the word you used is rep. And okay. the word is sales manager. Okay. So what I had to do was I had to find the sales manager for each particular office who had a GM-like skill set who was able to do some operational things, who was able to do some recruiting things, some HRE things, some closing of, of deals, coaching of deals, you, you know, a more, a more well-rounded kind of hire. That, that key anchor yeah. in a particular office was huge because yeah. A, we didn't have sales ops and sales enablement and B, the executing of it all is not my skill set. So I'm not cranking away inside of Salesforce building out, you know, workflows and reports and stuff like that. Right. So I would find somebody like you said, who um, had skill sets and was good at that, that kind of stuff. Yeah. And I just empowered them to be that person. You know, one of those people was a uh, JM Wilkie who worked with me uh, at main street hub. She was a, um, you know, sales rep and then a senior sales rep and then a sales manager. And as a sales manager started getting interested and in, in good at Salesforce admin type stuff. And she ended up leaving uh, and becoming like a head of, uh, head of SDRs, I think, or something like that. And then she's the one that I pulled back to Qualia and, and was the head of uh, sales operations. And now she's like, a, you know, a whiz at um, all sales ops and sales enablement thing. Well, that, that's her like career path arc, right? Like she sold, she led, she picked up these projects, she got good at it, and now it's her job. So she sold, she led, moved into some kind of team lead management role, then started seeing there were these projects that could be done, decided she wanted to try and help you and get them done, um, decided she kind of liked yeah. that, right? And then that's sort of where her trajectory came in. How do, what do you look for in somebody like that? Like, cause you know, look, it's all startup world. Right. And I, you know, I have my opinions of how do we find that well-rounded person, right? How do you, what are the things you look for? Um, you know, I look for somebody who is, who holds themselves to a really high standard and who holds themselves accountable. You know, there's another woman that uh, fits this bill named Claire Morris, who I know you you know. Um, she went from customer success rep to customer success manager to sales ops. Now, now she's been a VP of sales ops and a VP of customer success and sales ops. And, um, you know, her and JM were kind of similar. Like, they hold themselves to a really, really high um, standard. We had a really good kind of, open dialogue and communication to where like, you know, I could start to explain what I wanted, but I had no good ability to, to, to say like, well, this is what it will do and, and look like, and technically it needs to do this. It's like, it's almost like they'd be able to finish my sentences in a way. Right. And they're like, I know where you're going, like, I'm going to, I'm going to get this and they execute on it quick. And they know, you know, for me, like if I have an idea, nobody ever comes to me and is like, what's the timeline? What's your sense of urgency around this? And you know this about me. Like if, if I put something out there, like 
my sense of urgency is like now, mm -hmm. right? And so they, that was their speed as well. They wanted to get it done that fast because they kind of think and move that fast. And mm -hmm. they're, always, they're always really, really eager to learn and taking stuff on. And, you know, they'd ask me, can I, can I go take this course? Can I go do that thing? And I'm like, yeah, you know, learn, learn, learn. Come on, be way better at this stuff than me. You know, make it so I literally can't do my job without you. Right. right. And, and, you know, I got it. So I, I'm, th those are the things that I'm like, that I'm looking for in that regard, regard, help, help me tell these stories that I need to tell through data to reps, to, you know, the founders, my bosses, to the board, to what, whoever, right. Help that, me tell the story through data. That's a great line. The story through data is exactly what we're all looking for. Right. Uh, I think you summed it up nicely. Coming back to sort of the original of this, right? So the, the, the gist of this conversation actually occurred because someone was asking me, who do I think enablement should, you know, what should enablement do? And my advice to this person, I'd be curious to know what you think or, or you drill down on me is that I told them that I don't think enablement should at all be in charge of sales training. Like the line man training. What's that? In charge of any type of training whatsoever. No, probably more on the coaching side than the training side. Well, what do you mean by... What are you differentiating between coaching and training? Live and on the floor with them, right? Okay, so, so, so you would not be a fan of a sales ops, sales enablement person going on the floor and explaining to a rep like you're managing your pipeline wrong, here's why no, you're- No, I'm thinking, no that, that I totally would want them to do. The operational side, yes. I'm talking about the straight up, how do, how do I have a better conversation? How do I engage this prospect or customer Right. Okay. To move so, forward. I mean, my, my sales ops people don't do that. that okay. They don't coach that stuff. That's sales pitch. Right. To me. But is that it? Would you let an enablement person, right? Because enablement's coming along and we might need to define it a little bit. But, you know, enablement in theory seems to be this piece of uh, the sales trainer, the coach, the person who's going to teach everybody the same content throughout the company or throughout the sales organization. That, that's a sales, to me, that's a sales trainer. Right. Okay. And that falls under in my, my, in my orgs, the sales trainers have reported to me, not to the head of sales enablement or sales ops. Gotcha. Okay. And I'm too far removed to know if that's a standard or not. So I, I you know, I don't, I don't know that, 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 that that's a standard. I, I bet that there's a lot of the audience that I suspect a lot of the audience doesn't have it set up that way. And I suspect that in a lot of places, sales training maybe does fall under sales enablement I'm, I'm not sure that just never felt right to me why didn't that feel right what didn't feel good about it well i a lot of the operational people have never done direct selling before yeah for one so i'm uncomfortable with somebody who's never done direct selling being you know solely in charge of like how to deliver the pitch Yep. with the right tone and cadence and that kind of thing. I'm 100% comfortable with them holding people accountable and teaching them um, the process. Like my, my sales ops team were like, hey, Richard, dude, you're like, you haven't called, you know, 30 of these leads here in your pipeline for like, you know, 400 days or something like that. Something, you know what I mean? Like they're always working, the sales ops team is like always giving this kind of information to the reps and the managers and things like that. So. Right. I mean, don't you think that part of the 
problem is that nobody knows what the hell the difference is between ops and training and, and enablement. I mean, look at me. I, I, I've been doing this and sometimes it feels the same to me that the more we talk about this, I'm like, well, maybe that's not a piece. I think that's like a huge part of it. Don't you think? I, I agree. I, which was, which is interesting because you know, you, you yourself even said, well, I think it's all the same thing. And I wonder if it's that's you see it that way because that's just how you allowed yourself to experience it. Right. Awesome. And, and, and to some extent, you were conditioned to experience it that way because you weren't allowed to have those resources even when you had, you know, a hundred reps or two yeah. reps, right? So I, I, I'm also so damn old that, you know, the first term was sales ops. So now there's like this new term of sales enablement and I like, I'm kind of like recoil, like, oh, come on, don't, what are you renaming the thing for? You're confusing me. Yeah. I, I, as you know, I'm a little older than you and I remember when sales ops first came around and, and I remember this, this is post when I worked with you, um, you know, you would hire, you know, I was working for you and we would hire a training class, right? We would hire the next whatever. And I left that job. And the next word I heard was onboarding. Here's your onboarding program. I'm like, what yeah, the onboarding program. I know. Yeah. <laughs> Such thing is onboarding. Like, show up and here's how you start. I'm going to train you for two weeks. Like <laughs> include some operational things and it's going to include yeah. I'm like, what is this onboarding? So these buzzwords. What did, what did they call? What did they call uh, sales ops before it was called sales ops? I don't even know, man. I I I just think it was considered management, right? Yeah. Um, and we got. I, I think the industry got to this place, and I still see it where people say sales manager, but we've become so stacked to death, so reported and dashboarded upon that management is now about managing the data and not managing the people anymore. Right. And that's where I see. Do you think that's why, so many, do you think that's part of the reason why so many sales orgs are so screwed up and so many reps are so unhappy and disgruntled? Because nobody, nobody pays attention to the people anymore. They just pay attention to the data. Well, I think, well, I see it differently. I, I see it that they're getting way more attention than they ever got way more to, to the tune that, you know, I'm a Gen Xer, right? I think you're, you're either a closet Gen Xer or a closet millennial. I can't, you got one foot in each closet. So I'm 42. I gotta be a Gen X. I don't know. I don't know where it cuts off, but, um, but I, I think that, you know, what, what millennials and Gen Z, and this is why I love working with them. Um, and for those who are listening, like it's not your fault that your bosses are idiots, that people of my generation are stupid. <laughs> but um, it's not your fault. I promise it's their fault. Uh, but what I, what I see happening all the time is that um, what millennials and Gen Z see as training and coaching, I would have seen as micromanagement. Mm. I would have easily in a heartbeat been like, don't tell me how to do this. Don't tell me how to do that. I still have this. They're much, more, they're much more open to that kind of feedback than totally, you. Totally. Totally. I mean, you, you've known me for you know a long time now and you probably go, Oh yeah, I've seen you do that. <laughs> like, I've seen you kind of turn on that, like, don't tell me what to do kind of thing. Yeah. Um, and that was just innate in me, but I was a latchkey kid. I was 10 years old. I was walking home by myself, you know, a mile each way from school. And, you know, not this uphill bullshit, but like, literally I was just walking home by myself, which, you know, I, my kids live a quarter mile from school and we freak out if they walk home too much, right? Like we're helicopter parenting these kids. Um, <laughs> the irony there is that my kid just walked home from school and walked in the door and got on camera. Excellent, which is fantastic. My, kid, my kids. A million ways you and I are different. 
<laughs> the boys do walk home from school now, but, and they might, you know, I mean, you know, the boys, they might stick their head in there, might not. I don't know. They would have engaged like Caleb did, but um, if Caleb was there, they'd have sat here and we could just let them talk fantasy football or something. <laughs> uh, enjoy that. Um, but then we'd be exploiting our children and we get yelled at for that and blah, blah, blah. Yeah. So, anyway, so millennials and Gen Z, I think, and, and, and rightfully so, they're sort of demanding this, like, you need to teach me stuff. Whereas our generation didn't get it. And we'd love to say, well, I don't understand why they can't just roll up their sleeves and get them. It's because it doesn't work that way anymore. That's not how the world does. And more importantly, why does the world need to work that way? Just because you had a shitty upbringing of sales leadership means you should pass on that same shittiness. Like, I don't see it that way. So that's the part I love about what you and I do and working with people and, and you know, to, to all the Gen Xers who are listening, cut it out. Like, you know, stop you know, you are acting way more entitled as a Gen Xer than the millennials do, right? Just because you've done it doesn't mean you get to be entitled either. So stop it and just help each other. Be human. So, <laughs> off my soapbox. But I, I, I think people, you, you think people are getting as much human coaching though? I, uh, I, don't, I think they're getting more, they might be getting more coaching, like you said, but it's just, it's so data driven and so process driven. Like, I don't know. Well, I, one of the things that I think, one of the things, especially in the last, I don't know, five or six years, um, I focused a lot more on just people and life coaching and less about yep. data and more about like, you know, how do I help you navigate this life and this career and yeah. this situation? And, you know, I, I think that that is one of the things that, has set me apart a little bit. And, and one of the reasons why, you know, I'm, maybe I'm a, I'm a better leader now than I was when I, um, you know, was working with you and, and a better leader now than I was three years ago and, mm-hmm. and whatnot, because I think, um, I think I, I dig into some of these things and spend time with people and have these tough conversations just about, about life. And I, I don't, I don't think enough people do that anymore. Yep. You know, so there's a part of me that's like, yeah, the data is there, um, you know, telling a story, but like, I got this operations person over here, like, I'm gonna let them tell that story. I want that story to be told, but I'm gonna let them tell that story. Mm-hmm. I want you to tell me your story mm-hmm. as a human. How the hell, how the hell did you get here? Yep. Where did you come from? You know, yep. and I'm gonna tell you my story. This is who I am and where I come from and how I think. Okay, well, how can we both, how can we both get done what we want to get done here and help each other out along the way. Do, I, do you feel like that's common or uncommon in the places that you go? It's and never common. Do? You know, like, you know, the, you know. Why? Why is it not common? Because, of, because we've been hiring extroverts for sales and sales leadership. Introvert, extroverts don't think that way. Introverts think that way. Mm. That's the biggest difference I see. And there's different levels. You know, there's sort of. I mean, you know me. I'm definitely more introverted than extroverted overall but that's but that's your that's your real persona sometimes i see you in your sales world and you're a little bit more that's, different. that's like going to character right I, I know i know so 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 you're so what i'm hearing you say though is like that line of thinking where i'm trying to i'm trying to coach people on a human level mm-hmm. maybe it's easier for me because my natural state is more introverted than extroverted I, I, you know, and I'm not, I'm, look, neither one, well, you're the closest of the psychologist experts with your undergrad degree and stuff, but, you know, 
I don't think extrovert extroverts are always looking for execution is what it feels like to me. Right. And, 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 and rightfully so they they can be good at that. Right. They, that's why they can power through. But when you put an extrovert into a leadership position, uh, that's a challenge. And I see this, and this is why extrovert. Well, let me say this. Oftentimes salespeople, not even introverts or extroverts, salespeople get promoted because they're experts at yeah. the product or the process, right? They've executed. You know what they're not experts at? Supporting other people. Yeah. Unless it serves their purpose, which is, you know, to make a commission check, right? And even then they miss. And so there's these, all these people, and I was one of them, where I busted my butt, busted my butt, busted my butt, thinking that's what it took to get into management. And then I got to management. I was like, wait a minute. Nobody told me how to, like, literally, I've had to have conversations with people, you know, you know about the, the the dead pet, you know, taking three right. days off for the dead pet, or um, I had I had one employee once who, who just had a, a body odor issue, and it was just I had to say something. It was nobody coached you on that. Like right. today, I don't even know. I mean, you call your HR person, maybe if you think about it, but nobody teaches that stuff about how to yeah. talk. To you. And I think you know, I do like. So to answer your question though, is I think we're getting closer and closer to human to human, right? We're taking a little bit, there's a little bit of a curve happening right now with, with the tools that are out there, which are great because I do think they help, right? But ultimately, as a human being, I don't want to be coached by a machine any yeah. more than my kids don't want to be parented by a machine, right? So you, all the tools that are out there are great and they're super helpful and they do allow for better, when you do coach, you can have better conversations and get into it quicker, but like everything else, if you're not careful, the tool, the tool will mess you up as much as it could help you. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, how do you see it? <clears throat> well, I think that, and there's also so many damn tools out there. You don't even know which one to pick and which yeah. one is actually messing you up. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Right. Yeah. Sort of tech stack overload. Yep. Right. Yeah. We need to go on a diet, tech stack diet. Yeah. But, is he making fun of my head again? Go, go. Yes, go, okay. go. Okay. Yeah. You're not camera shy. No, not at all. Not at all. <laughs> this uh, is what we do. We have families. Um, so, so coming back, coming back to this, like, what is your thought around that? Like, are we going too tech savvy on the coaching? Do you think the coaching's not happening enough? I mean, I remember, you know, I, I worked with you and you had 60 or 70 reps and, you know, you would have all, we were five or six of us managers and you would literally text us, you know, on the phone, you'd be like, get off your CPU. Like, yeah. go time get off the computer, go to go. Yeah. Go talk, go talk to people. Yeah. Talk to your, uh, sit next to no, I, I don't, I don't, I, I think coaching your own team, go coach another team. That's one of my favorite. Yeah. Go coach yeah. for a day. Yeah. You know, I, uh, I don't know how many other people did this, but I, at Qualia did away with having team, quotas for managers. I don't know if I told you that. Mm -hmm. so, so all of the sales managers and I let's just, you know, we had one number. I didn't, I didn't, I no longer enjoyed a scenario where <clears throat> Richard was like, well, I hit my team's goal. I don't Sorry. We didn't hit the overall team goal, but like I did my thing. Right. I no longer was interested in the scenario where Richard even had to hesitate for a second whether or not he should go help Caleb over there on Scott's team mm -hmm. because he wasn't necessarily going to get paid on mm -hmm. it. Um, 
so you know that that's that's an example of the evolution of of me at least and how I manage and how how I thought of things and how I tried to I tried to make it easier on some level for mm-hmm. for people to get coached and for people to give give coaching. Um, I, I don't. I just. I don't think there's enough of it happening. I worry that it's going in the wrong direction. Even though there's more tech and 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 sometimes conversation and dialogue about it. I've I've been on all these floors. Mm-hmm. I've been on them, whether it's my own or whether I've been, you know, consulting and working with other people on their floor. I mean, you know, you and I just spent time with a large organizations you know not too long ago and like those people are bloodthirsty for coaching yes they're not getting it right and that's not a resource constrained organization no um i just don't think that they that they get it i think we're becoming more adverse to delivering that kind of feedback i think a lot of the leaders are older like us and and moving away from that stuff and meanwhile the workers are getting younger and they want more of that kind of feedback and there's a clash happening and there's a disconnect and i I think ultimately what's going to happen is the you know millennials if you will or the frontline workers right now they're they're going to win right because they hold all the power whether they know it or not like they can revolutionize the whole industry because at some point in time they're all going to be like you know what fuck you i'm not going to go work there I'm not going to work any place anymore that doesn't give me the support that I need. That doesn't give me the coaching that I need because I have a million different options yep. that do offer this kind of stuff. Yep. So I'm not even going to deal with you anymore. Yep. And that, that reckoning is, is coming. Yeah, I, 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 I think it's already starting to be here. I think I, I, reps are, that's where your best reps are going. <clears throat> and, and they should, and mm-hmm. they should. What, you know, I get, I get those, we got that question, you know, last week, like what, what should I do if, you know, my organization is not giving me that stuff. And I'm like, fucking leave. I said, leave. That's what I would, that's what I would do. What are you waiting for? Yeah. What are you doing? There's thousands of other places in your, in your town probably that will give you what you're looking for. You know, the only, the only reason they don't do that is because we haven't stood up and said enough is enough. We haven't made them feel the pain yet of, of, of not changing, you know? Yeah. I think, I think that's part of it. I do wonder, and again, this is generational. I, I wonder if the, there's a, it's the same thought, but a different definition to, Hey, let's be happy. We have a job thing, right? Like, you know, are those, those millennials and Gen Z's are, are the children of parents who struggled, you know, in the last 10 years. And so is there a different kind of fear in some extent, to some extent of, Hey, let's, you know, do this, let's do that. Or, um, I'm too yeah. concerned about my resume. I got here, I've been here three months and I realized I hate it, but now what happens if I jump, which is don't worry about it. Nobody's going to care. You don't have to put well, it. I think, I think you and I are unqualified to answer that because we're That's not true. millennial, but I've been working with them in the trenches and having all these conversations and they definitely express fear and concern over the optics of job hopping. But I think only because there's so many sales leaders still that care about that kind of stuff i I don't care about it at all right don't you know i assume one of two things either you're a deadbeat who can't hold down a job and and can't execute or you realize pretty quickly that that place sucked 
and made a difficult decision to walk away, right? And it's on me during the interview process to figure out which one of those camps that, that you're in. And you know, the best thing you can do, I think, is go to the interview and be like, I know the optics. I was only there six months. I gotta be honest with you. I wasn't getting what I need. And the reason I'm not there anymore is because I'm taking control of my life and I'm looking for a place that delivers X, Y, and Z. Tell me how you handle X, Y, and Z. And they flip the script on me and I'm like, okay, I get it, right? That's how Scott hires you. <laughs> I wish more people would come in with that kind of attitude and, and be less apprehensive or, you know, um, be less confident about it. You know, just, just freaking own it, man. Just, just own the story. You know, yeah, we should, that, I think we should do that. I think we should, uh, for the next session, cause I know we got to wrap up in a minute, but I think a really good one would be how, how would you do interviewing? If I'm a sales rep, how do I go to interview? And tune, you in next, and tune in next time, episode two. Yeah. Uh, how to, how to interview, right? Cause you and I both love interviewing, but we love the whole process of it. You know? so. so, all right, brother. Hey, love you much. Love to the family. Same to you. Talk soon. Uh, and uh, we'll do it again. All right, bud. Yeah. Bye.